Welcome, good friend, to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. We have been in the midst of what I think for many is probably an eye-opening series entitled Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. Let me say at the very beginning that if you haven't had a chance to hear the other parts, take some time, download them, uh, either from our website at dailyinchrist.org or look it up in the iTunes store. They're all available to you free. Well, we have made the very important point that sanctification biblically means God himself. It's an action of God setting us apart away from that which is common and profane and bring us unto himself. It's extremely important to understand that sanctification is something that is not something that I do, but it is something that God has done already for us in Christ. Now, in the last uh, edition of this uh, podcast, part number five, we answer the question, so why do I do the sinful things that I do? And I wanted to answer that question, even though not sinning is actually not what sanctification is all about. Remember, sanctification speaks of our being set apart unto the Lord. And that is something that is already done. It's not something that can be improved on either by time, process, or your performance. However, I am aware of the issue of sinning and trying to guide biblically into what the Bible tells us and gives answer to when we wonder about, well, why do I do the sinful things that I do? I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Okay. I believe that the scripture says that I'm sanctified. And in the last episode, we uh, answered the question, do Christians have a sinful nature? And the answer biblically is no, they do not. We uh, said that Christians have flesh. Flesh is not bad. Flesh is neutral. It speaks to our humanity, our human senses, mind, and ability. What is sinful is walking by means of our flesh. That is sinful. And uh, conversely, walking victoriously happens when we walk according to the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We uh, spend quite a bit of time talking about the fact that a sinner sins. This A sinner biblically is defined as one uh, before Christ, one who is unredeemed, one who is dead in trespasses and sins. A sinner sins because it's their nature to do so. And it's that very nature of a sinner that incurs the wrath of God. A saint sins, and remember, a saint is one who has been sanctified. A saint is every single child of God, considered so by God. A saint sins contrary to their holy nature because they are deceived. They sin because something outside of them is wrong, as opposed to the sinner who sins because something inside of them is wrong. Their nature is wrong. The saint sins contrary to their holy nature because they are deceived. And there is the devil, the world, and there is uh, our own fleshly thinking that causes problems. So the problem in the life of the believer is not a problem of the sinful nature. That nature died when the sinner you died in Christ. It is the problem of the mind. And that's why it says in Romans 12, too, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We made the point that there is deception that we face. A Christian can be deceived, and there is an active agent, a deceiver, the father of lies, Satan, who is trying to infiltrate your mind. Uh, 
back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Did they have a sin nature? No. Did they have a sin consciousness? No. And yet they fell. Let me just take a moment. We also raised uh, the whole matter of a sin consciousness. The problem so often is because of incorrect teaching biblically about who we are in Christ and the finished work of Christ. We have uh, Christians going around saying they're a sinner. Um, they have this sin consciousness. They say things like, every part of me is corrupt to some degree. Sanctification is imperfect in this life. I will never be completely holy until I die. I have a deceitful, wicked heart. Sin is inevitable. I will struggle with sin until the day I die and so forth. This is a sin consciousness and completely unnecessary. And again, I refer you to the previous editions of this series to answer those important questions. I want to say it again. It is not natural for a saint to sin. It is natural for a saint to walk in faith dependence on Christ for all. That is extremely important. We must remember that Adam and Eve sinned under the influence and outside influence of a deceiver, Satan, who brought in temptation. And a key point of the deception was to attack God God's goodness, and God's integrity. He also, uh, in attacking God's goodness, uh, said that, did God really say you can't eat of every tree in the garden? God actually said the exact opposite. He said, freely eat of every tree in the garden, except the one that would bring a death disaster, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, Satan comes along and he attacks God's generosity, God's goodness, He attacks uh, the fact that God wants you to experience real pleasure from an abundance in him. It is uh, really amazing how, how the enemy, he did that to Adam and Eve. He'll do it to you. And that is how a Christian fails. That is how a Christian sins. Now, look, I'm not blaming the devil, okay, Ultimately, we ourselves live under the influence of deception, whether it be self-deception or from the enemy. And under that influence, we buckle in to a lifestyle that is below the will of God. Here's something extremely important, and we're going to get into our topic material for today. And this is part two uh, in answering to the question, so why do I do the sinful things that I do? The most dangerous thing is to try to get good out of yourself. Let me say that again. The most dangerous thing for you is to try to get good out of yourself. You see, friend, good and goodness comes from God alone. The Lord said to the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 19, none is good but one, and that is God. Now, another way in which Satan attacks us uh, in the matter of deception and temptation is to actually attack who we really are in Christ. He did this to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, he said, uh, you will be like God. His temptation was them for the, to become something. But did you know that they were already made in the image and likeness of God? That's right. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Lord said, 
Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Adam and Eve were already made in the image and likeness of God. You know, Satan comes sauntering up to Adam and Eve and says, you will be like God if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, Satan did the same trick to Jesus. He went up to Jesus, the beloved son of God, and he said, if you are the son of God. Read it for yourself there in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. If you are the son of God. You see, where Satan attacks us is the lie that says that God has not remade you in his image and likeness. Oh, and here's the bigger lie. Therefore, you must make yourself like God. But here's the biblical truth. You have been made in the image and likeness of God. You have been recreated in Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But see, if you, if you don't realize that you are who you really are, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be striving to become that which you think you're not, but you already are. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want to make this uh, sound too confusing here. And an even bigger lie, like I said, is uh, that you would try to make yourself like God. See, this brings up the uh, problem of being versus becoming. Uh, Satan tries to get us to think that we are not who we really are because we are in Christ. He tries to get us to think that we need to become like God, even though we have been made in the image of God. And worst of all, that we try to become like God in the flesh, try to get good out of ourselves. Dear friend, this is a cardinal principle of the word of God. Righteousness comes from God alone. Satan will try to tempt you into a counterfeit righteousness out of yourself rather than from God. He tries to get us to to, uh, become good enough and righteous enough like God by works, self-effort, self-righteousness, and not by faith. The Bible says in four key places that the just will live by faith. That's in Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. The just will live by faith. It is so important to, to get this idea, this concept that who you really are, your identity is in Christ. It's not in yourself. It's in Christ. Satan is trying to move us away from Christ. He's he's trying to move us away from a Christ-centeredness. He's trying to distract us. And he's very good. He's had thousands of years to hone his craft. And in order to understand how we fall, I guess we're going to take a look here for a moment at the fall of Lucifer, who became Satan. And I call this the CSI of the fall of Lucifer. And uh, turn, if you would, to uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, and we're going to take it in verse 12. 
Now, as you're traveling there, Satan, before the fall, was a high archangel of God. There were only three archangels. There was Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And in Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, we read about the fall of Lucifer. And we learn a lot from this passage. Are you there? Verse 12. How you are fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. All right, there it is in Isaiah chapter 14, 12 to 15. And we will observe five deadly I wills of Satan. And notice that each of these I wills benefits himself. In 13a, I will ascend into heaven. In 13b, I will exalt my throne above the stars. In 13b also, it says, I will sit on the mount of the congregation. What that literally means is the mount of the gods. He said in 14a, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Also in verse 14, he says this, I will be like the Most High. And actually, many versions say, I will make myself like the Most High. Now, I want to draw a parallel, if you will, in the exact opposite direction of Satan's I wills. And I want to bring forth Jesus, the perfect Son of God and Son of Man. And I want you to observe what he did in contrast to the I wills of Satan. So we're going to walk through these same five I wills again and answer them with what Jesus did. Satan said in verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. Jesus descended to the lower regions. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Satan said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Philippians 2. Satan said, I will sit on the mount of the congregation, the mount of the gods. Jesus came as a servant, Philippians 2, 7 and Matthew 20, verse 28. And in Hebrews 2, verse 9, it says this, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Again, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Satan said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Jesus made himself nothing. Philippians 2, 7. Satan said, I will make myself like the Most High. And Jesus declared that he did nothing out of or from himself. John five nineteen and John eight twenty eight. Do you see the difference? My dear friend, God himself spoke some my wills as well. And his I wills are not self-serving. His I wills have brought great benefit to the, to the heirs of salvation. And God's I wills are found in the new covenant. That's right. God's I wills 
are found in the New Covenant. You can find this over in uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and in Hebrews chapter 10. This is a quotation from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. I'm going to read where it is in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. It says this, the Lord is speaking and declares, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brothers saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Check it out for yourself in Hebrews chapter eight beginning in verse 10. That, friends, is the new covenant. Why do I bring this up? I want you to take a look at what Satan said. Satan identified with himself and said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will exalt myself. I will make myself like the Most High. I want you to understand that that is the theme song of sinful humanity. I will. I will, I will, I will. And we carry over that bad thinking into our Christian life. I will try harder. harder. I will try to sin less. I will try to make myself like God. Hmm. Hmm. Some of you are really, the light is starting to come on. Do you see where we're going? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 speaks thus. It says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John two sixteen speaks of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Amplified adds or, or clarifies that pride of life, meaning assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. That nails it right there. I want to speak to that third point, the pride of life, which is assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. Friend, the easiest way for me to explain this is that Before you were born again, before I was born again, God was just, we were dead to God. No relationship at all. We drew our life not from God. We drew our life from ourselves. We drew our life and our understanding of life from ourselves, from the world, ultimately from Satan. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that this world is, is driven by the prince of the power of the air. They run a course, and that course is driven by Satan. What is Satan's agenda? I will, I will, I will, I will, independently of God. But dear friend, God himself is the only true I am. Do you remember what happened to Moses in the Midian desert. We spoke about this a little bit earlier. Exodus chapter 3. God spoke to Moses and commissioned him to go back to Egypt to lead 
a nation of 2.5 million people out of the clutches of the strongest nation on earth. And Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And God reveals his name as I am that I am. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God says, I am has sent me to you. That was the calling card of God. What does it mean? What does I am mean? Theologians tell, tell us that that term I am, I am that I am, the holy name of God means God is self-existent. It means that God does not need anything else. God's existence comes out of himself. He is God, unlike any other. It also means the I am that I am, that God is the unchanging, eternal, self-existent God, the I am that I am. Unchanging means that uh, God in his perfection does not need to change. God is eternal. It means that he has always existed and will always exist. And I mentioned a moment ago, self-existent. God needs absolutely nothing. God's existence is purely out of himself. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, the Lord says, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. God doesn't stop there. In his name, I am. You know, the Hebrew expression for I am is Jehovah. And you may recall that that name Jehovah is coupled with other Hebrew names to give further definition of God and who he is. And may I say right away who he is for us. For instance, Jehovah Jireh literally means when you translate both words, Jehovah means I am. Jireh means provision. Put him together. I am provision. God says, I am your provision. Jehovah Sidkenu literally means Jehovah means I am. Sidkenu means righteousness. God says to you and to me, I am righteousness. Jehovah Mekedesh, I am sanctification. Jehovah Shalom, I am peace. Jehovah Shama, I am presence. Jehovah Rapha, I am healing. Jehovah Nisi, I am victory. Jehovah Rohi, I am the shepherd. Did you notice? All of those things are things that we need. Provision, righteousness, sanctification, peace, God being close, healing, victory, God being the shepherd who feeds and cares for us and guards us. God in his great holy name of I am that I am, Jehovah, has in covenant fashion bound himself as the only one that can truly meet our needs. This is extremely important to understand this, dear friend. This is an important key for the Christian life. Jesus comes along, and this is uh, well documented in the Gospel of John, and there were some I am's that he made, some I am declarations. For instance, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. John 6, 22, he said, I am the light of the world. Eight, uh, John eight twelve. he said, I am the good shepherd. John 10, 1, he said, I am the door. 
John 10.9, he said, I am the Son of God. John 10.36, he declared that he is the resurrection and the life. John 11, uh, verse 17, that was at the tomb of Lazarus. He declared in John 15.1, I am the true vine. And then if there was any doubt or question, the Lord Jesus Christ declared clearly, resolutely in John 8.58, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Meanwhile, we say of ourselves, I am a failure. I am a sinner. I am a loser. I am an, an addict. I am a warrior. Fill in the blank. And we identify ourselves with ourselves. No wonder we fail. No wonder we sin. No wonder we lose. No wonder we're addicted. No wonder we worry. And God is saying, no, no, no. Your I am is wrapped up in my I am. Now, friends, don't get me wrong here. The New Age movement has taken this and twisted it around. You know, the New Age movement tries to make you out to be God. I want to be very clear. You are not God, nor will you or me or any other creature be God. God is distinctly God. And yet our I am is out of, it's derived from God's I am. Oh, this is revolutionary teaching. I hope you're getting it. You see, dear friends, the answer is not how, but who. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I love John 14, 15, 16, and 17. This is Jesus in the upper room. It's called the upper room discourse, and he's with his disciples. And uh, there's so much that's so good in these chapters. But I want to focus on John chapter 14, beginning in verse 5. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Now, look at the, the question. How can we know the way? Watch what Jesus declares in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's one of Jesus' I am declarations in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, he is the way. Jesus says, he is the truth. Jesus says, he is the life. Dear friends, the way is not an it. The way is a person. His name is Jesus. The, the truth is not an it. The truth is a person. His name is Jesus. The life is not an it. The life is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get this? We say, I don't know the way. Show me the way, God. And Jesus says, I am the way. We say, I don't know the truth. Show me the truth, God. And Jesus says, I am the truth. We say, I don't know how to live this Christian life. Show me the life, God. And Jesus says, I am the life. Friend, we think the answer is out there somewhere, though we don't have the answer. And if you are born again, Jesus lives inside of you. Isn't that wonderful truth? 
You see, our I am is wrapped up in his I am. We are in Christ. Hebrews 11.6 declares this, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For, here's the reason why, he who comes to God, now notice that, he who comes to not a new teaching, not a new doctrine, not a theology, he who comes to God must believe that he is I am that I am, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, friend, the Christian life is really simple at its core. The Christian life is Jesus Christ. If you have him, you have the life. If you don't, you don't have the life. 1 John chapter 5 declares that it says, this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who has, does not have the Son does not have the life. Again, that's in 1 John chapter 5. You see, this Christian life, which is a, a walk of faith. Remember Romans chapter 1 verse 7, the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, we see the nature of this faith, the faith that pleases God. It says, for he who comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Did you see it? Did you get it? Do you see what's going on? Do you understand that it's a person? It's coming to a person, God. It's believing that this person is I am that I am self-sufficient who who binds himself covenantly to you as Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Sidkenu, and all of those wonderful Jehovah names. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 declares, and this, because as he is, Jesus is, so are we in this world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 Dear friends, this is why it is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. God was calling Moses, remember Exodus chapter 3, into an impossible task to go back to Egypt and rescue a nation of 2.5 million people out of the clutches of the most powerful king on earth. And Moses said to the Lord, who shall I say sent me? And God reveals, I am that I am. And do you know something? Moses, so equipped, going with the I am that I am, went into Egypt. And what were the results of Moses' faith in God being I am? Plagues for Egypt, culminating in the death of the firstborn, bringing Pharaoh to his knees, ordering Moses and the Israelites to leave Egypt and take whatever they wanted with them. The result of Moses' faith in God being I am, he led a nation of 2.5 million people out of the clutches of the most powerful king on earth. What were the results of Moses' faith in God being I am that I am? It split the Red Sea. And what were the results of Moses' faith in God being I am that I am? 
the strongest army on earth was wiped out decisively, destroyed. So what is our Christian life if not being in a process of sanctification? Remember I said sanctification is not a process at all. It's a state. It's the state you get at the very beginning, being set apart unto God. So we throw out that human theology of the process of sanctification. We go, okay, well then what is the Christian life? It is a walk. Not to become something. It is a walk out of who you really are because of Jesus and because you are in Christ. You are a son. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. You are highly favored in the beloved. Ephesians 1 6. You are deeply loved. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. And I love what it says over here in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. It says this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. You see, God says you are. I'm sorry. God says I am. Therefore, you are. You are in Christ. You are his child. You are blessed. You are highly favored in the beloved. You are deeply loved. Nothing needs to be added except a new spiritual body you'll get. It'll be given in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, in the future. You see, dear friend, your Christian life consists of not getting better. Your Christian life consists of a walk. It is a faith walk. It is going from faith to faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, it's faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ as our all in all. Colossians 3.11. It is faith in his finished work. It is Faith in the grace given freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friend, it is not your Christian life does not consist in becoming something good and not being something bad, but rather it consists of Christ who is your all in all and all of your goodness. Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now, let me ask you, how did you receive Christ? By grace, through faith in Christ. So it says, so walk in him. This is how we walk the Christian life. Now, let me quickly point out, someone might say, well, then why is it Why is it of faith? I mean, why do we have to have faith? Romans chapter 4 verse 6 tells us why. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. What is grace? Grace is God loving you, accepting you, blessing you, not because of what you deserve. You and I deserve wrath, but because of how good he is and because of what Christ deserves. 
Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That's in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Oh, this is, this is so important to get this. Our life, our Christian life is Christ himself. You know, one of the biggest lies from the pit of hell is this idea of living for Christ. God is not interested in the slightest in you living for him. God is interested in you living from him. It's your life is Christ, not living for Christ, but Christ himself. Christ is your life. Remember, Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life. And in uh, Romans chapter six, verse 23, it says this for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to Martha, right outside the tomb of dead Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty-five through 26. I want to conclude our podcast for today with uh, one more passage to sort of conclude in a way that kind of brings it all together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Listen carefully to what this passage says. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. I want to stop. Those are all wonderful things. It says to seek those things which are above. That is a very good Christian thing. It says that we are to set our minds on things above, not upon the earth. But verse 3 begins with the word for. And whenever you see that construct in the Bible, now you're going to get the reason for what was said in the previous two verses. For, here's the reason why, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me read those last two verses again. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, my friend, uh, Romans chapter 6 and other places makes it very clear that when we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. We're in un- union with him. As we mentioned in the previous broadcast, uh, the old sinner, you died, died with Christ at Calvary. And now you have a new life. That life is hidden in a person, two persons, actually hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus said in John chapter 17 that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Well, dear friend, you are in Christ and Christ is in the Father. 
And then verse 4 says, when Christ who is our life, not living for Christ, that's a counterfeit. Christ is your life, living from Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Check it out for yourself in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Well, we're, we have concluded our series, Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. And again, dear friend, if you've missed any of, these, of the previous parts of this ser- series, I urge you to uh, get those, download them, listen to them. Each part is uh, like building a house. Uh, you know, you have a foundation and then you've got the the structure of the house, and then you start building, filling in all that with all the important things. So if you're kind of coming into this podcast where we are now, you've missed a lot, and I encourage you to get those other parts. Dear friend, remember that Christ is your sanctification. He did it. Remember that important scripture verse that we found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that says, Of God are you in Christ, who has been made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The next verse says that him who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we are so awed at this incredible, great salvation that we have. We have because of Jesus and being in Christ. Oh, Lord, as we find out more and more from your word and from your spirit through the illumination of the spirit. God, we find out the incredible dimensions of your vast love and this great salvation. Thank you, Lord, that this wonderful salvation is based upon a person, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus himself is our life. Jesus is wisdom from God. Jesus is righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Father, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is indeed for us the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the door. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is our shepherd. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is resurrection and life for us. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is the bread of life and the living water. Father, continue by your Spirit just to show us the full sufficiency of Jesus. Help us, Lord, as a little child, just to rest in Jesus and who he is. And Lord, like those little children that came to Jesus to be blessed by him, may we simply come for such is the kingdom of God for these. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful Savior. Thank you for this wonderful salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.